Hello everyone and welcome back to episode number five of Ben's Learning Lounge. It's great to have you back. So today we're going to be talking about astronomy and astrophysics. Yes, you might have heard in the news recently about the recent astronauts being sent to the ISS. So I thought there's no better time to talk about the topic. We're going to be talking about a lot of interesting fields today, such as is there a heat limit of the universe? Did we just potentially miss a mass extinction event? Is a nearby star ready to explode into an incredible supernova that's seen by Earth? Does alien life exist? And my favourite, who is Sharon? Today we're going to be talking to Niam Patel about that. He's just recently completed his degree in astrophysics and he's done a lot of really, really incredible work, such as programming a simulation of the solar system. He looks at the severity of solar storms and how they affect Earth. He's looked for the earliest stars at the edges of our galaxy and for his masses, he's been looking at particles shot out by exploding stars and why they aren't spread evenly across the sky. So a lot of really, really amazing stuff coming up. Just a quick reminder too that this podcast is a fundraiser for Mind. If you'd like to give to those, please go to just giving.com slash fundraising slash Ben's Learning Lounge. One more time, that's justgiving.com slash fundraising slash Ben's Learning Lounge. Hope you sit back and enjoy the show. All right. Hello there, Neil. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing good, yeah. Cooped up as always in lockdown. As always, in the past half many weeks in lockdown. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, just hanging on. <laughs> well, all right. So the, the first thing I definitely want to start this podcast off with a big with a big question that I think can get confused sometimes with people and I am guilty of getting confused with it too. Okay. You kind of you you work a lot in astrophysics. Mm-hmm, yeah. What is the difference between astronomy, astrophysics and dare I say astrology? Oh. <laughs> okay, okay. So, I've had enough people go to me and talk about astrology and I'm like, no. <laughs> it's not the same thing. <laughs> uh but okay, so astronomy is a lot of observation. So it's going out there with a the telescope, looking at stars. It's often like, um, I don't know, I kind of attribute astronomy to a lot of angles. So like the, the coordinates of the way you're looking at, even like tracking objects and that kind of stuff. And I guess a more hands-on approach, really. When we talk about astrophysics, we're talking about, it, it's really wide. The, the field of astrophysics is very wide. You have like theoretical stuff so you can mm-hmm. take the things you know about matter and how it acts and apply it to, say, the core of a star and you don't have to look at it or anything you can just do a purely theoretical view of it like mathematics like astronomy a lot of it is a lot of the work is the act of seeing like um using a telescope and kind of the the fine-grained stuff around that whereas like astrophysics tends to be just using a telescope and using what you see with it to do stuff. all right i think i get so in short would you say and correct me if i'm wrong Astronomy is observation. Astrophysics can be more theoretical. More theoretical, but it's also uh, in its more observational like parts. It's using what you see, whereas right. astronomy is seen for the sake of it, kind of mostly. I see. And astrology. And then, of course, astrology is um well, astrology. I I'm not um <laughs> I'm not a leading figure on <laughs> astrology, uh, or or astronomy <laughs> or astrophysics, um, but. Yeah, astron- uh, astrology. I think I think is more like when we born, what's your rising and whatever sign. And, right, um, that's all. That's all your cancers, your um, yeah, your, that, your Tauruses. That, yeah, your Libra. Well, that's what I am. Um, <laughs> you shouldn't have said gonna, that. Someone's going to listen to this, and like I know, yeah, someone's going to listen to this and make like a, a whole plan of how my life's going to go now. <laughs> Someone's going to make a plan of how this podcast is going to be based on the fact you're a Libra. <laughs> oh, he's a Libra, though. 
And also, also the last thing, which I'm not going to lie, I also used to confuse. A meteorologist, that's someone who does mm-hmm. the news about weather, right? Is that is that correct? Well, it's not the news, but it is like weather. Meteorologist. So meteorology is a study of weather, yeah. Okay, so yeah, so you you are in in more waves than the non an astrophysicist. Well, we can ask me that about a month, and I'll Yeah, of course, you've just <laughs> oh done gosh, your masters, yeah. haven't you? Yeah, yeah, just, just handed in my report. So uh... that's brilliant. What was your what was your topic on? So it's looking at cosmic rays. They are these high energy particles, so they get thrown out of exploding stars and supernovae. That's what we think, anyway. Uh, and essentially, they go like. They go throughout the galaxy and they get bent, like the, the paths get bent and curved throughout the magnetic field that's in the galaxy. Because of that, like bending and curving, when we measure them here, when they hit the Earth and they basically scatter and become loads of other particles, we we should see them as coming from everywhere. Like every every area of the sky, they should be like a fairly equal amount. Uh, but that's not the case. So there are like hot spots and there are like, cold spots of how many are coming at us. Oh. And we don't know why. So I'm actually stu- I was studying data from a detector in America that's like been recent, well, shut down in 2016, but it ran for 13 years. So I used some data from there to um, get the like arrival location. So I basically built a sky map of where these things were coming from uh, and in what amounts. So you're you're actually working on real, well, I don't want to say real science, but you're working on like very recent stuff. You're looking at questions that are even yet to be solved. Oh yeah, definitely. Like then um, this kind of thing about cos- it's called like cosmic ray and isotropy, which is so isotropy is where you look around and everything you see looks the same. It's like looking at a blue sky that's perfectly blue. It's isotropically blue. So I'm looking at cosmic ray and isotropy. And that fe- that kind of field started like really vaguely in the in the sixties, but no one like the detectors there weren't good enough. And now like from the nineties onwards that's when we really have this kind of like in depth look at what we like of this field and even then like like i guess say 30 years that's still like really really short term in science yeah of course well is is cosmic rays also linked to i think i've heard the term before used like when the sun has a little explosion is that is that also cosmic Mm. rays like the radiation that comes off that oh yeah so when the sun like has an explosion it's called a well usually it's called a a coronal mass ejection so someone like part of the atmosphere just flies off just explodes those particles actually consist of the lower the lower end of the energy spectrum. So, so if you look at low, lower energy cosmic rays, there they are what what is thrown off of the sun. I see. So it's it's so cosmic rays. Cosmic just means anything which comes from this the sky, right? Yeah, yeah, from the wider universe. So it can be in our solar system. It can be outside of it. It can be from either from other other galaxies as well. Wow. The thing that I still find incredible is that we have equipment that can pick up the fact that it's come from, mm. you know, how many thousands and thousands of light years away. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's actually crazy because we even have like spacecraft that can do this. We have, um, like the, the detector I'm using, I was using was uh, underground. It was 700 meters in a mine, a mine shaft and like that kind of stuff. Can Gee, really... what? It was underground? Yeah, yeah, underground detectors. They're, they're really good for what, like this kind of research because the rock in between the surface and the detector like filters out all the slow energy stuff so that that's why with our detector we got oh, so it's like a it's like a purifier yeah, almost. yeah it's kind of like, like a sink it takes out all these like low energy ones that the sun throws out and it only leaves us with the ones that in a certain energy range 
Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, it's things that I just find incredible to believe about how far we've come in in space technology. I know that there's been sort of like elements recently where I've heard there's like less funding, for example, in things like NASA. Yet it still amazes me just how far we've come in that field when we're still yet to know what's at the very bottom of our own ocean. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting seeing what can be done with as little money as well. Because I've still like you know plans for like even given like I guess the relative the relative reduction in NASA's funding they still have like plans to go back to the moon not sure how coronavirus will impact that (laughs) but uh, i guess we'll find out (laughs) (laughs) bring it on to sort of coronavirus and i was actually wanted to ask well firstly sort of two-part question for people like you how do you manage to keep yourself busy in that world during quarantine times Mm. and also how could other people who potentially have an interest in astronomy or astrophysics who've never really explored it before is there a way for them to sort of get into it while everyone's still in lockdown Uh, i mean definitely yeah so um it's i I guess the easiest way to get into into astronomy and observing is just like go into your garden you know lay on a blanket lie down and, and watch the stars um, and like stargazing is such like an easy thing to do, and even if like if you I don't know if you wanna see what you can see and kind of record it, you can have like a little notebook and you can like draw little points and try and connect them and, and try and see what constellations you can see. And that's a really good introduction to to what star like what, what astronomy is. Um, and even like further on from there, you can do things like I don't know, go on Amazon buy a cheap telescope and like it's not anything fancy, but you can see a lot of stuff. Binoculars as well, if you've had binoculars, if you're um, maybe a dad likes to <laughs> likes to do some bird watching or nature stuff. Um, those can <laughs> those can be used to observe stars as well, or the or the moon. So you don't just have to use binoculars to look at birds. You can actually look at use them to look at things thousands and thousands of light years well, we get, away. We get a better look as well, and you can look at the planets through them as well, depending on the binoculars, of course. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing which has definitely interests me in the field. I've heard, for example, that sort of in, in next week or so, that like Mars and Jupiter, I think, are going to align a certain way above the moon. It's going to look like a smiley face. And I've I've seen zoom-ins before of people with these like incredible telescopes and they zoom in and you're like, God, like, you know, you look at it from here and Mars and Jupiter, they do kind of look like stars, I guess, because the way the light hits them. And then you see the zoom in and really you can just, they're just there, you know, it's it's incredible to look at that you can actually see jupiter with a telescope from your back it's garden absolutely incredible like you can i've seen some pictures from my friends as well with like pretty good telescopes and they've done things like image the the moon so that the four main moons of jupiter the galilean moons they've imaged them which is like ridiculous because like you think about how small they are compared to the jupiter yeah. and you can get stuff like saturn's ring systems from earth as well which like I know, it's kind of amazing gives you like a whole new perspective on like what's far away and what's big yet far away and how what, what's going on just next door kind of. yes yeah and also i mean another thing is is what far away means but that's something mm. i'm going to come to soon uh, the next point i also wanted to bring up was you talk about like jupiter and its uh, its moons there's a bit of a debate isn't there amongst the scientific community if i'm right about what is actually classed as a moon i've heard before that we have one moon i've heard before that we have 10 before that we've had We've got thousands that include little things. What What's a moon, Niam? <laughs> Tell me what a moon well, is. Well, a moon is like a natural satellite. So something that is made through like the the evolution of the solar system. So stuff like impacts with other planets, like say billions of years ago. And when these things are ejected from us, so like, well, like we get hit by a big rock and a different rock comes off and it sticks around with us and begins to orbit us, that's when we have our own moon. 
technically we have like we have tons of satellites which include man-made ones that we've made but there's, there's only one like moon of ours the yeah, lunar yeah. the lunar moon <laughs> or was it I think, I think it was lunar that um that the romans called it i think yeah it's hard because there are a bunch oh, of like, roman nice there's yeah i think roman names are what's like often used for stuff in our system um also oh yeah it is um, yeah you got like mars yeah, as the well. um yeah yeah there's there must be other venus yeah yeah, venus. yeah they are aren't they they're all sort of named after yeah, yeah. jupiter is as well Roman juno gods. is um juno is the name of nasa's one of nasa's probes that went to um to jupiter and um juno wow. is jupiter, like jupiter's wife it's kind of his wife checking up on, on him <laughs> wow that's brilliant that's great um, also with like so guess what classifies a moon is often has it cleared out a bit of the area around it i believe that's it um, i know that's definitely a, a condition for a planet so that's why pluto isn't a planet anymore um <laughs> because it didn't clear out well oh, what so do you mean by pluto that ha- um if you zoom to pluto and we have done with like new horizons now we've actually got data from that pluto has a a very close like brother called Char- uh, sharon and they're actually so close that they kind of share an orbit so when you have like these two massive pla- like two more massive bodies uh, near each other the pl- that, that they orbit around so let's say for example the moon around us the center if we draw like a circle of where the moon travels around, around the earth um the center of the circle is inside the earth but when we talk about sharon and pluto that center is actually outside of pluto so oh so it's like they're both kind of circling around a point yeah. in between them there's a ball point that's in between them yeah and I see. there's tons of other like little objects as well that are kind of blowing the line between what's a moon and what's a planet. So um, because Pluto couldn't clear out its like the path that Pluto orbits around the sun, it couldn't clear it out. Uh, and it's got these massive like kind of Pluto-sized objects around as well. It isn't called a planet anymore. That's amazing. So if if we did call Pluto a planet, basically you're saying we'd have to class a lot of other things around that area as a planet. Yeah, yeah. Like Pluto's really close to a region called the, the Kuiper Belt. So it's where there's tons of these icy kind of cometary, kind of not bodies. And they, they also haven't like cleared out of space around them either. So we'd have to call a lot of those things planets as well. And also to think that now I know the fact that there is a uh, a moon-like body that's near Pluto called Sharon. I mean, who would have mm, thought? Yeah. There was, there's a Sharon out there. You know, you got the Jupiters, <laughs> the Marses, the Moons, and you've got Sharon. I, I, I have to say, Sharon is in C-H-A-R-O-N, not, not Sharon is in... Oh! I think you said this character, Sharon. No, not, not her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, now you've ruined the magic Sorry. for me. Something else I also was, was interested in, like, about these similar to, like, Moons and stuff, but also I hear a lot in that I... I'm going to be honest with you, Liam. I do occasionally look at mm-hmm. the Sun newspaper. Um, I know. Oh, okay. I, I was worried then. I was like... Yeah. Well, you should be. Actually, um, I'm not sure if it's, if it's worse than the Sun or not. No, <laughs> no I, don't, I don't know. I think that's really bottom tier with the facts that it has. But it always talks about being concerned about a comet coming towards us or a meteor or I don't know the difference between those. But mm. should we actually be... Is there any reason for us actually to be worried in the future about a comet or meteor hitting us? Like, has it happened before? I mean, obviously it's happened before, I think, at least theory-wise with the dinosaurs, but has there been other cases where we've had close shaves and should we be worried um, about we the We've had, like, close-ish shaves, but not, not, nothing, like, that's to worry about. I think a lot of the stuff that we do with observation stuff is that we have a bunch of, like, a series of telescopes and um, satellites that, that observe 
objects near Earth, so, so these are called NEOs um, or NEOs, near Earth objects, and uh, but we, we track them. So one thing that we do is kind of related to the simulation, it's when you when you know the positions of all these objects, you, you can kind of guess their masses, you can usually predict ha how they're going to travel or how they're going to move. Because we, we know how gravity works, or at least like on these scales, not like talking about black holes or quantum gravity, I mean, that's the thing. But we know we, we can understand how gravity works, we can understand where these things are, um, how fast they're moving, and how much they kind of weigh, so we can figure out where, the, where they're going to go, mostly. Of course, there's some uncertainty, uh, and that leaves a worry, because of course, if there's an uncertainty there, um, like say by a few million meters, it could be that the asteroid hits you or goes past you and you're not sure. Yeah, so um, in terms of like how often asteroid impacts happen, we are a bit, a bit overdue an extinction level asteroid hit, so that's a uh, slightly worrying, but I guess it's not a thing to like, <laughs> there's no point in like... Hang on, Niam, you can't just drop that bombshell <laughs> in the podcast that actually we're overdue in a mass extinction and just well, kind of gloss over it. That, that's talking about pure statistics, so it's not like it's going to be... There's no idea knowing how big a half-mort's going to be. Maybe stuff like um, the asteroid impact in 1914, I think, in Siberia. Um, maybe that was one, but it didn't really... Didn't really it, it messed up. Wait, there was a, I, hang on. This yeah. is, I've got more questions than answers right now. There was, <laughs> okay. a, there, was a, there was a big meteor that hit Siberia in 1914. Yeah, it's called the Tunguska impact. So um, no, one, no one saw it because it was in Siberia and it was 1914. So no one could text out like, or tweet that it had happened. Uh, <laughs> but the, the people had heard this massive explosion, came to see it, and I think for about a few hundred meters every single tree was pointing away from this central impact point wow so it's just it was just a, a asteroid that just hit the earth and a big one i'm well, guessing not, well, not too, well in the grand scheme of things not very big because if it was bigger then we would um we would have a massive impact crater we'd have all the lovely apocalyptic stuff you've probably seen on movies and stuff like that but no it wasn't it wasn't anything too big it was just um it, it was an impact though and maybe Maybe extinction level events aren't like massive rocks or something. Maybe, maybe we're extrapolating a bit. I'm not sure. I haven't, I haven't looked at um, all theories, but yeah. <laughs> I suppose that there's also a chance too that these things, you know, could happen anytime, you know, within the range of a million years from now. Like there's a sort of big yeah. area where it could happen. So it no won't necessarily be tomorrow as much as it's likely had to happen in a couple of million years' time, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. And like the whole thing is like, I guess. There's no way fretting about it because it's just a it's a thing that we now we have the ability to look at them and see it coming at least do something about it possibly uh but uh there's no way fretting about it because in the end it's like one of those things that's happening around us and we just have to kind of not let it stop us in our tracks i guess we hope to think about it well also when it comes to things to look out for <laughs> i also heard something about supernovas are a thing that happened right in space is there a possibility yeah, for us to yeah. ever because there's so many stars around us, it would surprise me for there not to be some kind of time where one of them would just explode. <laughs> we can, you know, have yeah, a little yeah, peek. Well, that's like, was it recently? Um, I guess the astro astronomy astronauts, kind of everyone, was really, really getting riled up for Betelgeuse. So Betelgeuse is a, a, is a massive red giant star. A good, it's a good, good film. Film, Also, maybe a better star. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, it's around about 200 light years away, and it is in the kind of mass. So it has the mass, it's in that range of masses where 
it's likely to blow up. It's almost certain to blow up at some time. And like recently, there's this kind of like funky lowering of light. So we measured the light coming off of it, and over time, it was slowly, uh, slowly dipping. And because it's not usual, everyone was like, "Oh, it's going to blow up! Oh, it's going to blow up!" Uh, <laughs> and then suddenly, it resurrected itself, wow. and its light went back up. So, <laughs> so no explosion here. But in the span of the universe, it's it's not a long time until no, the thing blows. But um, the thing is that if it does explode, we will have an amazing view from Earth. It's uh, like we've seen very distant supernovae in other galaxies. So we've actually, what was it? We saw one, I think, in Andromeda, that was so bright that we it actually like was brighter than the rest of the galaxy for a little bit. Wow, Jesus, um, that's great! That's a, the amount of light these things give off. Incredible! It's like so. It's so like these put out so much energy that even was it the Crab Nebula that was from an explosion that was seen in the 1800s, 1200s, the 1800s, I think it was the 1200s actually, actually. but uh, it was so bright that people like noticed it down because it was like a huge happening in, in a celestial sky. So we could actually have uh, something else just like that, but mm. maybe even brighter, right? Because you said Betelgeuse is a big boy. It's a yeah, big star. It's quite close by as well. So that, that really increases the chance of us seeing a lot. And um, every... Every scientist would be willing to every detector they have to, to pick up whatever that throws out. <laughs> yes. All right, exciting stuff. Uh, so bear that in mind, people, in case you, <laughs> just in case you might be the lucky ones who gets to see it, uh, or your kids or so on. Uh, I also wanted to mention, I know that there's sort of an absolute zero temperature, which I was wondering if you could describe, but also, is there a heat limit as well of how hot things can get, as, as well as how cold okay, things can Okay, well, get? so absolute zero, if you imagine... So basically, the kind of the big secret of, of physics is that everything is vibrating, like everything. Um, in, Don't tell anyone. <laughs> you can't tell anyone. It's, it's only for me to you guys. So many things in physics can be broken down into kind of oscillations, so um, like a spring going up and down. When we look at what atoms do, um, they're vibrating as well. You kind of think of the, the two atoms that are together in a molecule, and between them is like kind of the spring. As we go down in temperature, this vibration, this movement, lowers and lowers and lowers and lowers until you get to the point in absolute zero where it's not moving at all. Absolute zero is technically a, is technically a theoretical temperature. We can we could never like reach that in the laboratory because we'd need an infinite amount of energy to do it. I believe, or it's like it's, or we, we'd have to move the energy of a system so far away that it would um, be kind right. of impossible to do. It's more theoretical. Yeah, but, um, it's stuff that, like, so in the University I'm, I've just done my work at, uh, Lancaster, they have one of the world's best low-temperature departments. They have these fridges which are really well isolated, so they are they are suspended above a chasm with air springs. A chasm being, like, 10 metres, but it's still, like, uh, they still have, like, isolation between with air springs. They have Faraday cages to stop um, uh, infrared radiation coming in, heating up the samples, they have um, like a three-step process of cooling down can get so cold, like if we imagine that in Black, I guess Blackwell Tower, I guess people might know that, Um, if you... It's like, for those who don't know, it's like the Eiffel Tower, but a a little bit, just just a tiny bit smaller. (laughs) But if you imagine that the the floor of um, Blackpool Tower, the bottom is absolutely zero, and the top is room temperature, so that's... 330 Kelvin around about. I'll, I'll mention Kelvin. Kelvin is a scale where zero is absolute zero and any other number it goes up from there. And it's like one Kelvin is one degree Celsius, which is quite nice. 
but the temperature that we get on Lancaster is about the width of a human hair off the ground. So hang on, what, what does so that mean? If the top of Blackpool Tower was room temperature, the bottom, the floor, was um, it was zero degrees, like Calvin, or absolute zero, the lowest temperature that Lancaster can get is like is equivalent to the width of a human hair off the floor. So we're almost at absolute zero. Oh, wow, I see. So we are very, yeah. very incredibly cold. cold. Like, like the, again, the coldest place in the entire universe. Even space is warmer than this. Do we ever just dip stuff in there to see what happens? <laughs> I think someone, not, not quite the same temperature, but someone called Lego figures. There's a video about that, about Lancaster, but I did that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just interesting. And, yeah, no it's way! It's a nice introduction to, like, low temp, but it's also just like, why did they call Lego figures? Okay. <laughs> That's literally that's the coldest Lego. So if anyone wants to see it, you can maybe. <laughs> yeah, I YouTube suppose that. Lancaster Uni. Yeah. yeah. On the YouTube page, they've got um, Lego in the, the coldest Lego figure ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what about the the other side of things? What about the the hottest? Because I understand that we can have the, a, a limit to how cold things can go because mm-hmm. that's when the vibrations stop. Uh, but do the vibrations? Can they just keep getting more and more uh, erratic? Is is the higher the temperature? Yeah, yeah, they can. So. When we talk about high temperatures, an important thing is to, again, think about those molecules and the bonds in between them. Um, if you imagine, like, it's kind of like if you imagine elastic bands doing that. Um, if you put too far and it has it troubling too much, it will eventually snap. The way we kind of talk about things that are disconnected like that, we have, we call it plasma. So a plasma is an ionized gas. It's actually a gas, a bit more funky because um, it can be affected by magnetic fields. Um, so it can like flow like a liquid depending on the magnetic field that it's in, um, and it can cause magnetic field because it it, it acts like a um, oh. a liquid circuit kind of like you can have these current electric currents that go through them and then they can cause magnetic fields and they can cause movement and it's all it's really hard stuff to like um, to to learn about <laughs> and also to model as well. But in plasmas, the lowest energy plasma is where you separate the electrons, the negative charges from atoms. And then they're flowing. But if we get higher and higher energies, we could do stuff like um, look at the subatomic particles that make up each individual part. So if we talk, if we talk about an atom, it's you know got the protons and the neutrons in the middle, and inside those they're made of quarks. We can get to such well, we want to get to such high temperature that'll take a probably maybe like a hundred years of of, just, of like um accelerated development part accelerated development. Um, we can actually separate the quarks. Wow. So basically, it, we can get the the heat of something can get so hot that the particles vibrate so much that they basically get ripped apart to the yeah. smallest of components. Yeah, the, the smallest possible components, and that's like I actually forget the number of how, how much that is, but that that's not even the limit. The limit is a theoretical limit is supposed to be around about I think one with sixty something. I think sixty zeros next to it, and that's like that's in, that's in what. <laughs> That's how. So that's, that's the limit. We've never ever reached that. That's in Kelvin. Yeah. So well, this time we can call it Celsius, but it's still like absolutely. It's it's beyond well beyond hot. It's like nothing you can even conceive of. And I can't give you like a, a thing to to compare because like, I I haven't like even I can't really think about how hot that is in terms of the, the physics like. Yeah. Uh, no. I doubt anyone has anything in their pocket <laughs> that could represent that as well. Yeah. That's mental. So really, we are 
we are actually surprisingly close to absolute zero, which I think is something like mine. What it mine two minus two hundred and sixty. Minus two hundred and seventy-three point one three Kelvin. So uh, Celsius. There we go. That's oh. that, that's four years of oh, degree right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's there you go you've learned the secret that everything vibrates and you know what absolute zero is you can basically you can do Neon's job for him at this point yeah so that's that's how cold things could get but we're actually much closer to that to the potential hottest possible number that we can manage within the universe is is yeah, yeah incredible. It's, it's so far away from us that it, like, i don't think it's i don't think it's physically possible to get to that theoretical max because it's just too hot and so much energy has to be concentrated in such a small space but yeah, so we're, we're a long way off on the, the upper edges of temperature. Wow, well, that's kind of cool, because it's nice to know, too, that that humans, you know, hopefully if we're still uh, banging about in years to come, that we've still mm. got a goal. It, well, I say a goal, but there's always something bigger than us that we can always either appreciate or feel like we're working towards. You know, it's not like we're in a current state where we actually understand everything. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think the thing about science is that you kind of use a key to unlock a door, uh, and then eventually, there's there's more that more doors behind it, and this the beginnings of like science or like philosophy as it would be called back then with the, with the Greeks. So they had a few doors, uh, they opened them, and then you know from there it's gone out of hand, and there's just too many doors and too many scientists opening them. Uh... <laughs> Bringing it to my last point, I have to know something mm. from you, Niam, which is very important for oh, me to know. Do you uh, <laughs> do you believe in aliens, um, dude? Um... <laughs> Um, there's been these things recently. Have you seen the footage? There's footage that was released. If people, well, if people don't know about when I released this, it would have been about two weeks ago. But right now, only a few days ago, was a um, footage released from the Ministry of Defense of America. A footage from two, one from 2004 and two from I think 2015 or around that time. Unknown flying objects, which the American um, government and military cannot discern, and they've released it to the public this footage and they all kind of look quite similar to each other and i wanted to know whether you believed as someone who has a little bit more knowledge than me in how space works if you think aliens are real and also if you think they okay so i believe aliens are real but but i think that space is too big and the distance is too large for them to see us or come with us because even to cross our galaxy, or like the enter end of our galaxy, it will take about 110,000 years for a light signal to travel. And that's the fastest thing that can travel, we know of. It makes me think, makes me feel that you think about the distances, that's just one galaxy, and you think about the time. So how long have, how long has our galaxy been here? 11 billion years, our planet 4 billion years, us? But nothing on that. One thing that is online, I think, and you probably find this on a lot of websites and videos or whatever, um, is a clock. So a clock where zero, or like the, the beginning time, is the Big Bang, and then the final time, so 24 hours later, is where we are, like the current time now. And in that entire clock, we're nothing. We're like a second, maybe, maybe two seconds. Um, but it's because like cosmic time is so large, and, and the, t- the time we've been around and being able to pick up and send signals has been nothing compared to that. Like to that, so it's. I think it's out, right now. It's out of the question that that I, I that we can either do anything about aliens, like see them or have them visit us, um, and and I wouldn't see. So, so I'm, yeah, so um, I I wouldn't see why in the past they would have visited, visited us either. Like there's no 
if you maybe they look out like if aliens flew past to say they look out for these kind of planets where um there's water and there's land it's kind of this kind of temperature or whatever but um they wouldn't know that anyone's like smart or like is intelligent on yeah. that without a signal coming off and i i agree with that heavily uh that perhaps as well that the aliens have existed um and maybe maybe have come over and visited us years ago but we've been here for such a unbelievably short period of time like you said like probably on the clock of the, the mm. scale of the universe we're at like 11 59 59 towards right now a second away that the chances of yeah. them seeing us as how we are now is so small and our current understanding of physics seems to be that if they did exist uh and if life isn't isn't common as much as common as we think it is at least they would have to travel so unbelievably far to get to us mm. that it almost seems impossible for them to know either that we exist or for them to come and visit or for us to still be around or for them to be around at the same time living in harmony i mean i got told before mm. that we're actually as far as things go right quite early on in the universe aren't we closer to the start of the universe than the end when everything turns oh, into no, black holes? Yeah. so we are we're like okay, eleven, so thirteen point seven billion years into the universe. Uh, that's like nothing really. We've got possibly trillions of years ahead of us, but us, uh, the universe. <laughs> well, Neam, thank you for helping me out there and understanding a bit more of uh, of the world we live in and the world outside. Uh, it's been great that's to have you on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, and I think we've all learned a little bit about astronomy, astrophysics, and uh, maybe even a little bit about astrology on the way too. <laughs> maybe a little, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's great to hear. It's, it's great to know about all these comets and things that have hit us in the past. Your opinion there on mm. UFOs, what you said about Beetlejuice, <laughs> about the heat limit and things as well. So, mm. yeah, I want to thank you for that. Cheers. Yeah, thank you very Just much. All the best here, and obviously talk to you again, uh, talk to you yeah, again talk soon. To you again soon. Um, yeah, thanks so much. Bye.